Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is everybody? Wow, that was bad. I like had a stroke halfway through that. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris and Claire. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Homie, what is cracking? How are you? I'm doing good. I actually have a voice again. Um, a lot of that brought on by the fact that we had lots of lots of uh, comments and people reaching out to me. A special shout out to my good friend Maggie for breaking down exactly how I need to approach these events in the future so I don't lose my voice every single time I do them. So thanks, Maggie. I look forward to sipping on a little bit of honey while I'm drinking whiskey. I don't know if she told me to exactly do that, but that's how I interpreted it. So sounds good to me. Yeah, sounds it sounds great. And um, you know, I'm really looking forward to to tonight's discussion. You know, we're not going to have a guest, so let's just get that out of the way now. But we promise to be entertaining. And there's a story that I'm just personally very excited about to talk about because it's so ridiculous. But before we get to that, Chris, what are you sipping on? I am drinking some Italian wine tonight. I am drinking Ooh. on uh, the Masi Bonacosta, a uh, Valpolicella Classico. Don't ask me what that means. What I can tell you is that it's delicious. It just like really rolled off your tongue there. Yeah. Like not at all. My Italian is a, lot, a little bit lackluster. My grandmother would. You know what? It's my grandmother's fault. She's She didn't want to teach me Italian, so. Did she legitimately say that to you at one point? She's like, you don't get to know this. No, it was, uh, it was just a, um, my, so my grandparents come from, from the, the age of immigrants who were desperately trying to, uh, assimilate and pretend right. like they were always Americans. Um, so the only time we heard Italian in the household was when my grandparents were cussing at each other. That's a, that's a good, that's a good time. Yeah. 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 I learned, I learned some really good things really, uh, really early on. <laughs> It's so it's so funny. I mean, I I know some people now who look back at um at their parents like, oh, I wish they would have taught me this. I wish they would have taught me that. But you're right. There are so many people who are just kind of like, no, fit in, fit in, fit in. You don't need to do this. Um, you know, I've also felt awfully Italian recently. Um, I have been binge watching The Sopranos. So that's uh, that's, that's that's it. That's how you do it. <laughs> that's how, you, that's, you understand us uh, completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will admit that this is my first time ever watching the show. Oh, so it, it's been, yeah, I, I'm a late adopter uh, to, to the Sopranos and it's been really fun. And it's also, you know, there's like that hyper awareness that you're able to explore in a series that you can't do in any other movie, whether it be Goodfellas or Casino or Godfather, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, having that those long seasons and stuff and having them talk about things such as stereotypes and the stereotypes of Italians in America being associated with organized crime. And I just watched the episode where they have the big fallout between the indigenous people and the Italians who are upset that they're trying to get rid of Columbus day because Columbus was Italian. And so it's just really funny. And it's just, you know, and of course this is something that this, this series took place, you know, well over 15 years ago. And it's just like, Oh, 
we have made no progress, everybody. So oh, yeah, just no. so you know. I mean, we, you know, more people are calling it Indigenous People's Day, but you know, for the most part, a lot of the same arguments still taking place. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, as an Italian American, fuck Columbus, it's fine. <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Now, tell me about the wine, um, Italian wine. I, I actually, I actually was enjoying some Italian wine last night, but um, admittedly, I haven't had a whole lot. So, what, what makes this one that you're drinking so delicious, even though you don't really? understand too much about the name of it. Well, first of all, Italian wines are just terrifying. Um, there's, uh, uh, you'll understand this about, you know, uh, agaves and mezcal and tequila and whatnot, right? Like them being, there being so many coming from lots of different regions coming and being named different things in different regions, or sometimes the same thing, but being different species of agave, uh, just depending on sort of colloquially how people understand it. And so Italian yeah. grape varietals are very much that way. And um, it's it's pretty terrifying uh, to, to really try to understand it. But I, I'm starting to understand um, regions a little bit more. Uh, there's just there's just so much uh, to, to understand with with uh, Italian grapes. But this wine is um, it's bright. It's citrusy. It has uh, like a little bit of like. Um, uh, tannic minerality towards like the finish. Nice red wine. Uh, I threw it in the refrigerator, uh, started drinking it with dinner, stuffed peppers. It was great. I'm still drinking it. It's still great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, as, as we were talking a little bit before we started recording about just learning about wine and, you know, obviously we are the self-proclaimed booze pundits, but, there is, there's always something to learn and there's, and the only way to truly learn it is just by experiencing it and drinking it. And, um, and then hopefully one day, you know, again, being able to travel to these places and really kind of, um, hopefully have this stuff really resonate, but the, you know, the world of wine is so complicated and I actually picked up one of those wine books from, from the good bottle shop recently that, could basically kill somebody if it was to drop on their head from let's just say 10 feet. Cause it's so <laughs> dense. Which I mean, one and there's, there, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. It's legitimately the biggest book you have at the store. So was it the wine um, Atlas or was yes, it? It was the wine Jesus. Atlas. It was the wine, wine Atlas. Fantastic. And, um, and it's, it's definitely one of those things that I haven't cracked it open yet. And there it's for a couple of reasons. I have a lot of other books that are, that are kind of on deck right now, but that one, when you, cause you do have an open one at the shop. And so when I was looking through that, I was like, I was like, Oh cool. I'm definitely going to get this, but it's all, you know, there, there are some images in it, but it's definitely like top to bottom, single space, all the fucking information that you can possibly fit into a book that will kill you from 10 feet above, you know? Uh, but I'm, but I am excited to jump more into it. And, and again, it's not necessarily a book that you read from front to back, you know, like you, you jump into different regions and like, so let's say like, yeah, if you're drinking an Italian wine tonight, then you're going to go to the Italian section and be like, Hey, look, what am I, what am I experiencing and stuff? Um, I actually heard this really interesting conversation about wine recently. And it was, it was on um, the British food network uh, podcast. And I got to pull up the guy's name because he was really good. Oz Clark. Have you ever heard of Oz Clark? Oh, I can't say I have. Okay. So 
Um, I got. I've, I've only had this one interaction with him, but apparently he's quite the figure in the UK wine market. But he was talking about how um, one of the things that that drew him to wine was like every year it kind of reinvents itself, right? So every year a new vintage comes out. Every year there's there's you know it might be the same, but it might be completely different, and it's totally acceptable within the wine world. And I just thought that was such a unique way to look at wine. Where I mean, obviously, we're all aware of those factors, but to use it as a selling point where so much of what most wineries try to do and really most spirits try to do is achieve consistency from one vintage to the next, right? They want it to say it's the same. And that's just that that doesn't necessarily jive with really what wine is. And so that was like a that was something that brought him into the world and what he loves so much about it. So I was like, I was like, that's really interesting. I like that. I I need to look this guy up more. Cause he kind of has a, um, he's got a really fun approach to it and is one of those people who was like a legitimate industry disruptor where the way that he talked about wine was where it was like, he was having fun with it. He was trying to demystify it as much as possible, you know, and this was, this happened years and years ago. And so now he's just kind of a, kind of a living legend. So, That's so again, really cool. that was, yeah. So I think it's, it's someone I want to look more into, but Oz Clark is his name. So I was having this That's really like, great conversation about wine, um, a few days ago and I got this really great piece of advice, which I feel like I knew, like I, I like in, I, I had already internalized before I like the actual concept had like entered into my ears and into my brain, but um, and the, the piece of advice was fall in love with winemakers, not, not wine brands because winemakers jump around from brand to brand. Um, and if they don't own it, you know, they'll, you know, you'll have five years of really cool wines and then it'll be gone and they'll, those right. wines will follow them to wherever else they go. Yeah. It's kind of a, I mean, I remember having that, like a very similar conversation uh, where someone was talking about that Screaming Eagle wine. And it was funny because the person said to me, he's like, well, if you like it now, um, you know, don't get used to it because that, you know, that person will be gone in a couple of years. And I just was like, I was like, first of all, in no world am I drinking Screaming Eagle. Like I don't have <laughs> that kind of. Uh, we're not that cool. We're not that cool. We don't have that much money. Um, just so for the people who don't know, and this is a new concept that came to me within the past couple months, but like screaming Eagle is basically like this cult wine that is excessively expensive and, um, is very, very sought after. Uh, I just happened to meet the winemaker. It was a super cool guy. And he also makes beer and his beer was good too. So, but, uh, but yeah, that, that was just, that was really interesting. And someone was just like, well, don't get used to it. And I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like tied up in this this one thing, but we, there's so we many need cons- a few more. Uh, we need a few more uh, sponsors for the show before we can we can get there. Before we start popping screaming eagles, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of things I think that need to happen before we get to screaming eagle status. I mean, um, just just so way people understand, uh, at Total Wine, I just did a quick quick Google on on screaming eagle. The very first bottle that pops up is fifteen hundred dollars, right? So not not cheap. And then obviously there's a secondary market for it, which I've heard numbers is, you know, high as $10,000. So yeah, yeah, that's a lot of quiche for a wine, um, which is insane to me, but 
as I learn more and more about this stuff, I totally get it. Like another concept that I thought was really interesting and um, is, and, and we talk about this all the time, like we both believe that that spirits continue to develop in a bottle to a certain degree, right? Yep. And this is and this is even more so true for for wine. And um, and I was talking with former guest and awesome importer Kelly Babineau earlier about this. And it was like, how do you know when a wine is truly at its peak? You know, because I've I've heard multiple people, much more educated on wine, talk about that. Where it's like, it's like, oh, this is it's really showing well right now. Is a phrase that you hear pretty often, or you know, oh, it's kind of past its peak already. Like it kind of, it, you know, it peaked about six months ago. And, you know, of course I'm kind of like, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, how do you, how do you know? Like, how do you tell the difference? And the best part is, and this is something that we always encourage on the show is like, you just got to drink it. You got to drink it a lot. You got to drink it at different times and just kind of see the different kind of effects that it, you know, that time just has on those things. And then of course, you know, keeping that internal mental log of, oh, it tasted really great at this time. And then not so much at this time. So it's just interesting. And, and I, and again, that's one of my things that continues to draw me to wine is there's so much to learn. And then similar to agave, as soon as you think that you know anything, someone's just like, nope, you don't know shit. And here's why. So yeah. super, super fun and interesting. But I'm also drinking you wine drinking? tonight. Are you? Um, yeah. And so you went with the Italian. I actually went with the French. Um, so I have the Chateau La Ferrat, and it is a Bordeaux wine. However... Most Bordeaux, as I have recently learned, are blends. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. This one is a hundred percent Merlot, so it stands out a little bit in in that sense. Um, And then also, the family that produces this stuff, this is the only wine that they make, which I think is just really interesting. Like the only wine brand, or they only make Merlot. I think they only make Merlot. That was my understanding is that they're just making, they're just making this one. That's all they really care about. They don't make a whole lot of it, which I think is also, you know, a, um, you know, part of that, but it's, uh, but it's just really interesting and it's super delicious and yummy. Um, and again, if you can have something a little bit different when everybody expects it to be one thing, this is, this is a good one to go with. Um, so, so yeah, again, a, do you know if it's vine. left bank or right bank? Um, I do not know the answer to that. Oh, you're gonna so you got to learn those. That's what I yeah. I mean, there's a lot again as we're trying to illuminate as much to our listeners is that there's just so much to digest. So I can say this because it's on the bottle. <laughs> it's Lalande de Pomerol. So it's from Pomerol, yeah. Pomerol. So what is that? Is that left or right bank? I believe it's left bank, but I'm sure someone's going to correct me. It's fine. My wine okay, knowledge well now, isn't, isn't nearly the same as my spirits knowledge. So we'll get a text. We'll get a text from our friend Leon Moore now, and he'll be like, it's left bank, you idiots. idiots. And then we'll immediately respond back with, <laughs> what are you talking about? Because we'll forget that we had talked about this. And then he'll feel like a jerk for calling us idiots. Um, so that's, that's about to, that, that'll, that'll happen over, over the next couple of days. But I also think that it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. So before I get into the story, I just want to compliment you on your soundboard usage. So 
as we had mentioned last week on the show, we had finally purchased a soundboard. And when I don't push know came if to show, you all Chris, noticed that uh, that soft fade in the beginning. You're welcome. Yeah, just our former guest Justin from Kohana definitely will. Um, but when we tried to record last week, Chris hadn't done hadn't hadn't put the time in yet to actually figure it out, so it didn't work. So we had to delay the premiere of the soundboard to tonight. And and thus far, it's been it, it sounds really great. I hope everybody at home is hearing it and it sounds good as well. And there's even a couple fun other um sound bites in there that hopefully will organically happen. But uh but we'll see. So anyways and there's and there is one of them and um and hopefully we'll 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 develop some more but uh there's definitely gonna be a lot of letdown noises uh on this podcast as our listeners can attest to. Um first story Diageo officially opened their new Lebanon distillery this this week and it's not in terms of Lebanon the country it is Lebanon Kentucky this is a huge facility we've actually talked about it before um 72,000 square feet they will pr- be producing 10 million gallons per year or they have the capacity to produce 10 million gallons per year right now bullet is its main um is the main product that it's producing right now. It is completely powered by wind and solar energy. And then in addition to the, um, you know, the, the energy and stuff like that that goes into it, they also have a program where it's called the Bourbon Production Experts, where they take their staff that is working at the facility and they rotate them to different jobs so everybody can be well-rounded and understand how the entire process works. Uh, which I just thought was really interesting and a, and a good way to kind of keep people engaged. In addition to that, in part of this initiative to become carbon neutral, they also announced this week that they will be opening up a brand new tequila indist- uh, distillery that will be um, that will that will run them about five hundred million dollars and is going to create over a thousand jobs. So, uh, and again, we'll be focused on being powered uh, by solar and wind and continuing to despite the fact that they produce the almost the most booze in the world at this point, um, remaining carbon neutral. So Chris thoughts on Diageo leading the carbon neutral revolution. Hey, it's rad. And it unfortunately requires large companies like this in order to, um, sort of beta test the, the, the product and the, the technology and the capabilities um, because they have the money to to be able to shift if something goes wrong. Uh, the I will say my initial thought though was like, good, bullet needs a needs a win in their corner. They need something that's going to get them a, uh, some good PR uh, here for a little while. Uh, it's been well documented that I um, have no opinions on bullet and will not share any <laughs> opinions on bullet. Um, that is the official stance from the office of Drew Garrison. There are no opinions on the brand bullet or any brands associated with the bullet bourbon or rye. Again, that comes from the law offices of Drew's desk. So uh, yeah, no, I, I think um I think it's really cool to kind of see these companies taking taking that initiative. And and one of the things that we've started to notice now is, you know, through the shutdown and all the different emissions that were cut down by individuals, you know, whether it was not using your car, you know, and stuff like that, is that it had a very minimal impact on the world emissions. And so it became 
even more true. And even though everyone pretty much assumed this to be the case, but even more so the case that you need your biggest companies to cut down on their emissions if you really truly give a shit about climate change and and everything like that. So having a world to see, in 50 more years. Right. So to see someone like Tiaja, who is the industry leader when it comes to spirits production, you know, taking those steps and and doing those things and and like you said, kind of having the um the capital to to roll the dice on that. You know, because again, if it doesn't work, then they just turn around and flip the switch and they're like, okay, well, yeah, now we're using fossil fuels again. Like, oh, well, we tried, you know, we saw, you saw us, like we tried to do it, but as part of their initiative and working towards um, being fully carbon neutral, I think they said by 2030. Yeah. So they have nine years or, you know, roughly nine years to get this taken care of, um, which I think is very ambitious, especially for some of these, uh, some of these production numbers that you're seeing, like I said, 10 million gallons per year out of a facility um, and it, it'll be curious to see if Diageo keeps it solely bullet or does it do it kind of what it does with other, other distilleries that it owns where it just like produces a bunch of different things. So I think like the, like, for example, I think it's Cameron bridge in Scotland, um, produces multiple distillates for them. So they have their whiskey that comes out of there, but then they also do Smirnoff comes out of there. And then I want to say Tangeray comes out of there as well. Um, so you know you have these huge facilities that are pumping out tons of juice. And I wonder if that if that will be the case for for the for this I mean, distillery that's, as well. That, that's the Diageo playbook, right? I mean that's that's sort of that's what they do. I mean, and it makes sense, right? I mean, why why continue to source juice from other other places? Why you know, and with a facility this big they're clearly intending on producing, you know, more than just bullet. I mean, bullet requires a really hefty amount of labor and, um, uh, uh, product in order to create that product. So that's, it's clearly where they needed to, they needed to focus because bullet was already partially sourced, partially produced, uh, by Diageo, um, you know, plants, but they now having this one facility, I, what I'm curious is if they're going to start producing all their rye because all their rye before it was MGP. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious or, or they were, then they started sourcing from Alberta cause they bought Alberta. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think one of the interesting things um, about a facility this big, and this is the case throughout the entire industry, this is not going to be exclusive to Diageo, but this facility despite being big and brand new and all this fun stuff, like is, is essentially going to have a staff of about 30 people, you know, which is insane. That's like that for you can just make this type of like, you know, it shows like the automation that's involved and things like that as well. But, um, but yeah, it'd be really interesting. And then to, to kind of segue into the tequila distillery that they also announced this week, that's going to have a similar approach. Um, now I don't know if, like when you when you make an announcement like this, and my assumption is when they say that they're gonna they're going to create a thousand jobs, like it, there's probably a thousand jobs that get created just in building this facility, right? Now, eventually, when it gets to the point where they have to run it, there's not going to be a thousand people working there. What I do think it's interesting when it comes to Diageo and especially I mean, the tequila Diageo industry, might be taking in like supply chain uh, labor as well into that. 
Potentially, yeah, for sure. Like, who knows what really, you know, whatever sounds better, right, in the PR release. So, but when it comes to tequila in production, so their their major brand, of course, is Don Julio. But then their other huge one that does ridiculous numbers is Casamigos. And one of the interesting things about Casamigos is whereas most of the industry has become more transparent about their, their processes and everything like that, uh, Casamigos and Diageo have gone the other way and have become less transparent and more opaque. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with this facility and with them. On, on one hand, they want to tout the fact that they're carbon neutral and that they're doing all these great things for the environment. On the other hand, it's like, but we don't want to tell you what we're putting in the tequila. You know, like we don't want to tell you that there's, you know, E150 or or like flavor additives and caramel sweeteners and things like that. So it's just kind of funny. Like there's this, there's this conflict of what's happening in terms of, yeah, we're going to produce it in the right way, but then we're going to make it the way that we do. I don't know. I mean, of course, that's also the celebrity tequila hills, the one I'm going to die on. So it's, I, I mean, if, just, if, if I'm, for, if I'm forced to out. choose between the two, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a environmentally friendly distillery over a, a open source, you know, one, but I, I mean, I totally. think it's, I think it's also um, more, more, you know, politically in vogue right now to, to be environmentally conscious, which is great. It fucking should be. It's about goddamn time. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the alternative is not like anyone's touting the fact that they're not environmentally conscious. They just don't talk about it. So it's not like, it's like, yeah, of course we're killing the ducks in the nearby pond. Like get out of our face. <laughs> or they um, just say that they have a plan in the works and, Oh yeah, right. I mean, that's that's the thing, and and you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I do believe that when they initially announced this, um, and they were talking about the you know now the the Lebanon distillery is, I think both of us were of that mindset. Like, are you just saying things to say things? But here you go. Here's the follow through. Here's the company actually, you know, providing the deliverables, which. Is something that we don't we didn't know necessarily know if that was going to happen. So, so at least in this sense, Diageo, they're doing good stuff. I mean, good for I, you guys. I think I think that there's a certain part, you know. I mean, in in let's say specifically like whiskey production or mezcal production that requires carbon, you know, consumption, right? Like yeah, burning peat is totally necessary in producing a ton of scotch, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Heating, I mean, I guess you don't need to heat coals with direct fire or heat stones with direct fire, but I mean, that's that's traditionally at least how it's done uh, for cooking agave in pits. Like that's, that's going to be what it does. Well, right? so, I mean, so you have, so when it comes to like the the agave production, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's not only wood that's being burned in the hornos to cook the agave itself. But then it's also most of the time open flame to heat your stills. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is, that is progressively becoming a bigger and bigger issue that um, there's not enough wood to go around in Oaxaca and other mezcal producing States right now. So it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And then what ends up happening is like, let's say you did want to go to, you know, uh, gas or something like that, then somehow, according to your quote unquote traditionalist, 
it's no longer a legitimate mezcal because you're not using direct fire or you're not cooking it the same way that's been cooked before, you know? So it's, it's really, it's really interesting, you know, kind of like you know, that fight. The, the same conversation the happened with scotch, you know, the same conversation happened with scotch. I want to say in like the seventies or eighties uh, of talking about uh, direct fire for, for copper pot stills versus like steam jackets or, you know, or, gas hmm. that conversation doesn't really exist anymore right like it just you don't you don't see it i, I re, the only reason i know about it is because i read a bunch of old old ass books talking about it that are fell out of publication so the only versions i have are from like the 80s <laughs> yeah yo and it's and you know so again it's eventually um you know most industries are going to embrace that innovation because it becomes more cost efficient you know, right. if you're able to burn natural gas as opposed to having to harvest wood and everything like that, I mean, I do see a point where mezcal does move more towards that, and uh, and it's because they're just going to have to. You don't, you won't have a choice. Um, we see it with with the increase in agave prices and things like that, but it's like you're going to see that increase in wood, and then just the availability, um, as well as the waste that that occurs during mezcal production and it's just they got to find they got to find better ways to produce if this is going to be sustainable and there's so much talk about sustainability in our industry right now and then especially in the mezcal industry where it's like it's like hey like how do we get these how do we get these agaves to continue to grow and like you know make sure that we don't um you know kill off anything and build species back up of different types of agave. But if we get to a point where like, well, well now we don't have anywhere to cook them and there's so much waste and byproduct because of the production that we, there's just, they can't even grow now. We don't even have water uh, anymore. So it's good. It's just, it's just always interesting. And so I think, you know, again, to kind of bring this back to, to Diageo industry leader in multiple ways. And now an industry leader when it comes to sustainability and, the zero net carb, you know, carbon footprint, like it's pretty awesome. And it's glad, to, I'm glad to see that, that it wasn't just a headline grabber. It was like, they executed it. And now let's see how this unfolds in Mexico. Yeah. Here, here. Well, there was your first mess up. You hit the wrong button. Yo. You jinxed me. I did jinx you. I might like build you up way too much, but now, like you know, people. But now people can see like just how easy it is. I mean, it's legitimately just like hit the button, hit the pad, and Chris is a genius. Of course, you know. So my wife it. keeps but, telling me. <laughs> uh, so now on to uh, a story that I came across today, which I was just giddy when I saw it because it was so ridiculous and so full of buzzwords and so full of everything that we have come to love and hate about this industry. But in 2022, there will be a new tap room coming to the great city of angels in that tap room is being provided by the Boston Beer Company. No, it's not going to be your Samuel Adams. It's not going to be any of those wonderful offerings. It is going to be a truly seltzer 
tap room. This truly seltzer tap room, according to them, is going to offer drink drinkers and culture seekers innovative flavors with different cocktails, um, 12 taps that will always be featuring new flavor profiles from truly as well as food from around the world and different artists featured each week um, or whatever their timelines end up being, but it will be an, it'll be a space for innovators and people who truly want to um, experience culture in downtown LA at LA live, which is like their big, their big area near the Staples center. So of course, seeing this and the line in particular of the culture seekers, because I don't know about you you, when you drink, when you drink truly. I mean, I just, I, I mean, right. Like, isn't it, there's just at no point have I ever associated drinking any seltzer with like tying it directly to culture seeking. It's always kind of been like, I'm going to crush 17 to 37 of these and (laughs) potentially throw up everywhere or like, you know, and it just, nothing about a seltzer says to me that it's like culturally rich and to read this thing. And it was, it was really funny because they, of course they had like a rendering of the, of the tap room and stuff like that. And in front of the tap room is a depiction of a woman walking um, or pushing her stroller near the tap room. And then, uh, and then another one of like, let's see. So there's that. Then you also have like a shadowy figure, like walking with her, with her two children, like to the tap room, which I didn't realize this because I'm not a big beer drinker. But most most tap rooms end up being very kid friendly, and a lot of people do bring their kids to tap rooms. But I just again, I go back to my thought process of someone like chugging a seltzer next to a swimming pool and then trying to do a backflip into the pool and totally botching it. And like that's my image of seltzers, right? It's not like, ooh, look at this really interesting artist as I sip on this truly pineapple seltzer. It's like, no, it's like you're trying to do a half gainer off the side of the pool and you're going to belly flop. Like that's just what's going to happen. So I don't know. I love this story so much because I just think about how many ridiculous fights are going to happen at this at this tap room. But Chris, what do you think? I mean, am, am I am I... Am I not giving the seltzer community enough credit for being culturally sound? Or is there a at, like, community? Are we? I mean, are they're we, uh, are we? They're buying. They're buying so many seltzers to the point that we have aluminum shortages all I over. Mean, there's the world. a market. There's a market, but is there a community? I don't. I don't know. I I like yeah, the idea of know. this being a tap room too, because all of their like, have you ever gone to a bar that had? Seltzers on draft? Not yet, but I mean, maybe. But now you can. Now you can experience it. But now I can. Maybe that's the play. I'm curious about um, uh, pitchers and towers of Truly Mm -hmm. uh, for your table. That's uh, right. Like Truly and Wings. Is that is that a thing? I also think like this could be just really really beautiful branding. But really, it's just like a giant garage door that opens up and you're like in some shitty warehouse district. And uh, there's just, you know, a food truck that just pulls up. And that's their like food from around the world. It's not yeah, even like and, a kitchen. There's no servers. There's no. 
Well, and so it, it has, you know, the, so the article goes on to read, it's like located in the heart of downtown Los Angeles Arts District, truly LA, which is what they're going to call it, is committed to partnering with like-minded, socially conscious organizations with a strong focus on inclusivity with partners in the LA community, truly aims to ensure giving back an impactful, meaning way, meaningful way it adds. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's... Yeah, it's all buzzwords and like it's all well and good. Like it's fine if that's like a thing that you're doing, but clearly this was written from their marketing uh, uh, department. Um, yeah, some some poor schmuck who just graduated from like I don't know business school or something like that was was given the the task of writing this copy. And just went out and has no talent in actually doing so. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting, especially to follow up the article and the story that we just covered, where you have another huge investment into into the spirits world, where there really is like positive change that's going to come from the efforts of Diageo, and then you have the Boston Beer Company, who has all kinds of amazing lawsuits out there against individuals and stuff that have ever tried to impede on their beer sales. And they, you know, they really struck gold with the truly brand and has continued to be like the top selling seltzer that's out there. But then, you know, again, it's just, it, it's so silly to me to have people just kind of being like, just the, the concept of being like, Oh, like, isn't this artist, you know, so in vogue right now. And I don't even know the right way to go about this is obviously I'm not that person either, but I mean, I'm much more comfortable with the dude trying to do a gainer after smashing it, after smashing a truly on his forehead. But, um, but it's just, it's just so, it's so ridiculous. And you just kind of want to be like, like, who does this work on? Like who reads this and goes, wow, I cannot wait to be at the cultural epicenter of LA at the truly tap house, you know, like, Let's also talk about this, like logistically, like what, what art are you putting up in a tap house? Like what, is it going up on the walls or are you, are you just like doing, are you, are, is truly hiring a, a, like a, uh, like a museum coordinator to run shows every, every, every month? Like what, what the hell are we actually talking about? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So the, the art and creativity will be the theme at truly LA. So I'm again, coming back to the article with local artists, commissioned murals adorning the exterior truly will also leverage its existing partnership with live nation to bring visitors ongoing cultural entertainment in the form of its truly inspired concert series and comedy shows, which will be live streamed from the tap room to drinkers around the world. Um, and then I'm always going to have issues with oh, any type of beverage company that puts more of an emphasis on it's like on its brand itself and not necessarily on, on the product that it, or what it tastes like, you know, and, and things but like that. But I also that. love that they're talking about truly LA and then talking about their, their partnership with live nation, which is a multinational booking agency. <laughs> that yeah. Well, like I mean, I think it Jay-Z concerts, <laughs> you know, like that's not, we're not talking about like, culturally sound or sensitive things we're talking about massive massive shows i mean i know that they do small shows too like they they run they they run ace of spades here uh in sacramento which is a smaller 
smaller venues, but it's massive shows, right? So it's yeah, it, I mean, it, I mean, like again, indie indie concerts. Maybe they will, and they're gonna they're gonna broadcast them to the rich and vibrant community of seltzer drinkers all over the world that we have completely oblivious to. To the community of seltzer drinkers, um, I don't know. I would love to. Be, I mean, I would love to be wrong about this. If so, if so, if any of our listeners, if you're like a cultured, truly drinker, and you're like, of course, we love to to drink Trulies and break down whilst, the most recent Scorsese film. We lunch. Yeah, whilst we lunch or, you know, talk about the meaning of life. And the the truly pineapple really helps you Lossifies. get to that point. You know, it's um I'd love to hear it. And and again it's this place will crush. We know it will. And there will be tons of people going there. And we'll just be on the outside continuing to be poor. I mean, shit, I'll probably go there. I just want to check it out when it actually like shows up just the way I can cringe in person. Well, you know what's going to end up happening is it's going to it's going to do well. They're going to they're going to start kegging all this stuff, which means every single bar that you go to now is going to have a seltzer on tap. It's just it's the natural progression of life. Good. That means more more aluminum for other companies. Great. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll, we'll make the <laughs> sacrifice. Put it on tap. Put it on three taps. Who gives a shit? Let's just let's get some aluminum back to people who, who really need it and who we want to have it. You know, our craft brewers of the world. Yo. You know who's dope? Them over there. Oh, boy. And now time for my favorite my favorite section where we tell you who to follow. It's our dope follows of the week. Could be Instagram accounts, podcasts, books, movies, what the hell ever. I know I kind of gave you guys one earlier, but Chris, I'm so excited about my dope follow this week that I almost sent it to you a couple days ago when I came across it. Cause when you look this up, you're going to die and you're going to be like, how dare you keep this for me for the last like three or four days because it's so hilarious and amazing. And then it's also just really great because there's some really great visuals on it. But before we get to my don't follow, Chris, who's your don't follow? Oh, you're going to do that? You're going to cliffhang it. All right, cool. Yeah, of course um, I'm going to I keep people engaged. I just learned. Full listen. <laughs> That's right. I just learned about this today, and um, I it, I was flabbergasted that I'd never heard about this. Um, it's a TV show. I watched an episode today and I lost my shit is incredible. Uh, our friend, uh, Tony D'Agostino who works for Beep Satori. Uh, I had, I had breakfast with him this morning and somehow it came up. Uh, holy moly. It is wipeout meets miniature golf. And it is as epic as that sounds. It is incredible. It is contestants running through a minefield of obstacles while also playing miniature golf. Incredible. Coming from the genius mind of uh, Mr. Steph Curry uh, of basketball fame, this is insanely good. I found it on Hulu. I just watched one episode today, and I'm, I'm obsessed with it. 
So that's the Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore. They're the guys who commentate on it. That's right. And Riggle, Riggle is really funny. I remember when this show first came out, I watched it and and I got to say, I wasn't like a big fan. Um, that, of course, was the first season. It's now on season three. So I'm sure it's evolved to a certain degree and become more fun because it has it's got favorable reviews you know it's got to they got to be onto something i mean riggle is just i think that they just allowed him to just kind of like go they're like all right we need we need an x factor you're here just do it yeah and and rob riggle's that guy that if you're listening at home right now and you're like who the hell is rob riggle like you'll look him up and be like oh that guy yeah yeah yeah, face. he's a psychopath in the <laughs> face. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely. Uh, okay. All right. So, so that, that one's yours. It's okay. It's an drum okay roll. one. I don't have a drum roll sound on this yet. I mean, you have all the other things except for the drum roll. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'd okay. So everybody get your phones out, open up your Instagram. And I want you to start typing this. Do the uh, I don't know. I I totally just lost what it's called. What's the the underscore thing, right? Underscore little yeah, dash. Underscore. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know why I thought that was wrong for a second. Underscore. V. I. S. I. O. N. N. Underscore. So it's vision with two N's. And the first picture you're gonna see is. Amazing. Pause for effect. What am I looking at? That is a squirrel stabbing a snake in its mouth. That is correct. And it's um, so basically what this is, is it's a collection of just ridiculous photos. And um, so this is a stuffed squirrel on top of a stuffed rattlesnake but it's in like an action shot. So he's like, he's got a, he's got like a little mini knife and he's about to stab the snake. And so first of all, that visual alone is just hilarious. But then as you go more and more through the account, there's just all kinds of just weird visually simulating um, photos and artwork. And it's just from all over the world. And the guy just there's, or the guy or girl, whoever runs it doesn't, comment on on any of it with with the exception of basically just putting like whoever the artist was or whoever like wherever this thing came from and so to me it's just it's totally fascinating and i absolutely loved it and so this is it's been very hard for me not to send this to you over the last couple days because it's just it gets really cool photos and really cool artwork um like there's one here that has uh, it's like the x-ray image of a woman in some high heels and just how bizarre that looks um, some really cool contrast photos, some some nature stuff. I just absolutely love this account. This is and really cool. Yeah, and it just goes. I mean, and, and it's it's just got just everything and all time all kinds of stuff. Just really really cool things. Um, so again, underscore vision with two ends underscore. That's my dope follow this week. It's um, it's quite the rabbit hole. So I apologize in advance for that.
Uh, music for the Good Bubble Podcast is orchestrated by the Moore Brothers and produced somewhat well today by us two guys. Before we go and kill these bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. And very, very, very much so, please leave us a five-star review. And share it with everybody that you know. Um, our listens were back up and they continue to climb again. So we're excited about that. And hopefully, I feel like this this episode was a little low energy. I blame it on the fact that we're recording on an off night and both of us were irresponsible today. So I, I want to say that, that we're acknowledging maybe the fact that we need some energy drinks. But um, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison 6 Chris is Kristen Flair. You can also support the podcast by visiting our Etsy shop, or you can check out anchor.fm slash goodbottlepodcast where we can go and pay for some energy drinks and make sure that we bring more fire next time. And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you're working with a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase these bottles that we drank on the episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time... Cheers. Soundboard cheers. Cheers. Big ears. Press it.